Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so excited that you've joined me for today's show. Today is Monday, uh, February 10th. I'm trying to look for the date on my computer, February 10th, uh, 2014. I know lots of you listen to these shows sequentially, but sometimes people will email me and say that they went back and listened to a show from 2008 or 2009, so I've started to think a little bit more about including the dates there, so you'll know how current the show is. Uh, Before we get to today's wonderful topic, let me make a few announcements. First of all, if you are a speech-language pathologist and you own any of my DVDs, Teach Me to Talk, Teach Me to Listen and Obey, one and two, or Teach Me to Talk with Apraxia and Phonological Disorders, have I got news for you. Those are all available now for ASHA CEUs. Um, And the the way, the procedure, the details for obtaining those CEUs, we still have a couple of more little details to work out about that, but that that should be available uh, or the whole process should be posted uh, by tomorrow or Wednesday at the latest. So you'll be able to get credit for time you've already spent <laughs> and money you've already spent for uh, CEUs, and it'll be, a, again, a cheap way for you to get that. So I wanted to make that announcement. So many people, since we released those DVDs starting in 2008, uh, have asked me, why aren't those available for credit? Those are the best parent education tools I've ever, ever had. Why can't I get credit for watching that and owning that? And now you can. So, again, I'm so, so excited about that. Special thanks, too, to the whole panel of peer reviewers that worked on that for us and that who met those impossible time deadlines <laughs> that uh, I issued. I always am kind of a, can you please do this now person, which kind of feeds into my ADD. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You've been one of those wonderful people, and you will get your CEU credit when uh, we work out all those, again, those little pesky details. So check that out tomorrow or Wednesday at teachmetotalk.com so that you can um, get those cheap CEUs. All right, second big announcement. My course, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, I know I've talked about it before, but that is on DVD now too and should be available for shipping at the end of this week on Friday or Saturday. So if you have not purchased that yet, get in line so yours be shipped on the first day it's available. And again, this is a course primarily for speech-language pathologists. If you are an early interventionist, say a developmental therapist, a developmental instructor, a special instructor, whatever they call teacher people in your state, you can also get credit for that or an OT, any other kind of therapist. Uh, you'll get a certificate for that that you can submit to your licensure board or your credentialing agency, whatever the procedure is in your state. So even if you're not a speech-language pathologist or, say, you're a speech person but you don't do ASHA, you can still get the CEUs for this. And don't you love it when something actually pertains to your job instead of having to go to a course for older preschool children or oh, heaven forbid, school-age children, and then trying to somehow make that fit our work with our toddlers and and for those of us who specialize in birth to three. So I love that we're able to offer this now, 
And I love that, again, if you've done it in the past, you can, you've watched those DVDs in the past, you can still get credit for that. And, of course, you're going to have to do the little test and all those little hoops that we have to jump through for CEUs. But, again, I'm so, 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 so excited about it. And uh, in addition to the DVDs, the new course, it's a six-hour course, so it's a full day. It's called Steps to Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers based on my book or the theory behind my book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers. And if you've not bought that book yet, there's a special deal for you too. You can get $10 off that book when you purchase it with the course. So I wanted to make you aware of that. third announcement is this awesome project that I found um, I think it was on, let me look really quickly, January 31st, and I posted it on teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page, and I think I posted it um, as a Twitter link, too, uh, if you follow teachmetotalk.com Twitter. But it is from an organization called, I can't even tell what it's called, but it's, I linked it, and it's a video with examples of autism. So if you have, if you're a parent and you're wondering about that, and you think I don't know any kids with autism, I don't, I don't understand what a therapist would be looking for, or a professional would be looking for. Or my doctor says he's concerned, but I'm not quite sure what he's talking about. Or if you've just wondered, or if you have that that pit in the bottom of your stomach, and you think I don't know, this video is excellent because it takes toddlers, real-life kids, and it walks you through a couple of different uh, red flags that evaluators look for. And so that shows you a child, even who has a speech-language delay, and the things that he or she are doing and explain why that child is not on the autism spectrum. And see another example of a kid who will get that diagnosis because of the behaviors and the characteristics that he or she is exhibiting. So if you have not taken a look at that, I beg you to do it. And even for a therapist, I just loved watching that and listening to the narration provided by this organization. Uh, and it was just a wonderful voiceovers and great explanation. Again, you know all this stuff because you're professionals. But I like listening to other people who are great at their jobs because I like to hear what they say and how they explain it so that I can adapt some of that language when I'm talking to parents. So, again, it is so well done, and you can find it on teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page. Scroll down. I linked it from Communication Station but uh, because Maria had linked it, but it was on January 31st, and it will be worth trying to dig that out and take a look at it. And let me also recommend, if you're a speech-language pathologist or a parent, and, and this is uh, an issue that's near and dear to your heart, share that video too, because we always want to be sure that we are making sure that we disseminate information to other professionals, to other parents. Again, you never, ever, ever know when something that you share in social media may end up making um, life better for a family who's been on the fence about getting services or for a therapist, again, who may have missed these red flags in the past and you want to be able to help them find a way to be better at their jobs. So 
take a look at that. And again, it's on teachmetotalk.com's Facebook page. And scroll down for the post on January 31st. All right, let's get to today's topic. I am so excited to talk about this. And let me give you a little background with what happened. Now, today's show is pointing out a toddler's strengths. I think that's what I called it. That's what I called the article I wrote about this topic last week. And let me tell you what happened. The week before last, I had seen a wonderful family from another state. So they drove, say, four or five hours to see me. And it was with a mom, and she she was, I just, I love this family. The mom's in OT, but she didn't tell me that until she got there. So she was kind of holding out information on me. And her little girl um, has a really complex medical history. I'm not going to go into details because I didn't really tell I was going to do this, so I don't want to compromise their their uh, confidentiality, but she was born with a, a syndrome, and so mom and, and mom didn't know when she was pregnant that was going to happen. So this is a complete surprise to her parents, and both of her parents came to the assessment. And I was, I, I wrote in the article that I'm the fourth speech pathologist to see this little girl, but actually, in thinking about it, I think I'm the fifth because they've had three speech pathologists during their time in their state early intervention program because things kept happening. You know, people move, people get pregnant, um, you know, just circumstances that happen to all of us. So she's had three different people, uh, three different speech pathologists as her ongoing weekly therapist. And then she's had another speech pathologist uh, consult on a team that her daughter sees periodically to monitor progress and measure progress. I was the fifth person to see this little girl. Now, again, she has pretty complex medical history, and these are super involved parents. Any parent who's going to drive more than 10 minutes, I think, can count as a super involved parent, don't you? <laughs> when they make an effort to come to your office and and – you know, so super, super, super committed, and she's got her whole little binder organized of evaluations there. She has every piece of paper that anyone has ever written about her child, and that's always impressive to me, too, when I see someone so organized. And as we're sitting there, and I've, I've played with the little girl and really tried to get to know her and 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 figure out what's going with her based on my personal clinical opinion rather than what other people have written about her. And so this was this as we're going through the evaluation and as I'm I'm playing this little girl and figuring out what she can do and she is a child who's talking but she has some pretty significant articulation and intelligibility concerns. But I just started doing what I do with every child. And in addition to highlighting what's what the weaknesses are or what the, the what the struggles are, I also started talking about how wonderfully she's doing in several different areas. And something really interesting happened after me going on about that for a little while. This mom started to cry. Now, she is not the first mom to cry in my office. I always think that I must bring out that emotional piece <laughs> In parents, because it happens all the time, and, and let me, this is not a joke when I say, man, I get how terrifying it is to hear about 
what's going on with your child. And I get that whole feeling like you're just on an emotional roller coaster. And I have, again, that's, that's a pretty routine experience when a mom cries. And I'm kind of an emotional person, and I have really been known to sometimes, I think, cause a mom to cry when I'm tearing up as we talk about something. But this was a little bit unexpected because I was talking about how well this little girl is doing. And I was saying that based on all that she's been through in her little life, I think she's doing incredibly well. And I'm, I'm not sure there could be a more positive outcome at this point based on all that's happened with her. And mom, you know, again, her eyes welled up with tears. And she, I, you know, was, was a little not taken back, but a little bit surprised. Um, that's not even the right word. Just that said, you know, gosh, is everything okay? Or, you know, can you tell me a little bit more about why you're crying? And she couldn't really tell me. She couldn't really put that into words. And later when she went to the, you know, but she continued to cry a little bit, you know, and I said, has, has anyone said this to you before? And she said no and I started getting the feeling right there during the assessment that those were happy tears relieved tears whatever you want to call it but I didn't really know because again this is the first time I met these parents and I'm asking her some pretty tough questions and after all I'm I'm just a speech language pathologist I'm not a psychologist so you can't really push like that when someone's not able to tell you what's going on emotionally. And even when mom went to the restroom later, I said to dad, gosh, you know, I'm, I hope I didn't upset her too much. You know, the, I really meant these things as compliments. And, again, to be to point out all of your little girl's wonderful strengths. And dad really didn't give me much information either. He did say, well, you know, you have to just kind of understand it's, it's when you hear something like that, you know, you just become emotional. So, again, not really quantitatively positive or negative. So, family went home. I wrote the report. She's getting ready for a big meeting with her um, early intervention team in her state to do her last IFSP. So that was one of the reasons they came to see me as, as, you know, an additional opinion and to provide some new ideas for therapy in a new direction. And, you know, just, again, a new set of fresh eyes on her. And she certainly, I think, the parents are going to share the report with their um, other team, the team that they follow up with at the medical center periodically. So I wrote the report. And I always, always, always in my reports at the end when I'm, I'm doing the summary and the recommendations, I am so careful to find as many strengths as I can about a child to write in the report. And the reason that I do that is pretty simple. I think parents of special kids with special needs get so used to hearing everything that's wrong and that's why they, they bring their children to us for our expert opinions, and that's, that's, again, why they seek out our services anyway. They know that things aren't going exactly as they would hope, and they know that there are concerns with their child's development. But I think sometimes we get so focused on providing 
words and, and diagnoses and recommendations and summaries that include a whole lot of negative about a baby that just might be one or two that sometimes we forget to point out all that might be going right, even in that short little lifespan. And I never want to forget that for parents. I always want to leave parents with what I see are a child's strengths or positives. So I did this in the report, and I got an email back from this mom. And she says in the email, thank you so much. You were the first SLP to take time to learn our daughter and provide us with new ideas to help increase her weaknesses as well as point out her strengths, which no one else has done. Thank you so much. We are so glad we made the trip to see you and Johnny. So finally, confirmation <laughs> that those were tears of, again, relief or just acknowledgement that their little girl did have some things that are developing beautifully. And it's just shocking to me uh, that no one pointed that out. And I wrote an article about that last week at teachmetotalk.com. If you've not read that, there are some really specific things that I didn't copy from the little girl's report, but I pointed out exactly uh, the strengths that she had and then talked about that a little bit. And But I want us to use this as the basis for our show today to talk about what we can look for as strengths. Because, again, if you've not been used to documenting um, assessments or evaluations in this way, you, you, you may need some help. You may need some ideas for how you can start to make this a regular part of a written report that you would provide a parent. Now, I hope that you have done it verbally, even if you've never done a written report in this way. And I do think our IFSP process in um, the, the federal document that, that all state early intervention programs um, complete for a child who's entering services in a state birth to three program, I think our IFSP documents help us point out a child's strengths. But still to hear a therapist who's evaluating your child say, these are some things that I love about her, or these are things that he's doing well, these are his strengths, you know, I think it's so powerful for a parent to hear that from a professional. And so let's talk about how we can write some of these things in reports and how we can certainly say these things to parents so that they feel really good about not only what you're going to provide for a child as the child makes progress in therapy, but more importantly for appreciating where their child is right at the moment. Because, again, I think it's so scary for a parent to initiate that whole therapy process. And it's they're so vulnerable at that point because you're telling them, again, that something's wrong with their sweet baby. And so we have to be so, so, so sensitive to that. And, and noting a child's strengths, it's a really, really great way to do that. Now, before we get started with that, let me just issue my big cautionary statement. <laughs> Even when we're trying to be positive and point out these strengths, we do not want to ignore any deficits, and we certainly don't want to have our rose-colored glasses on to the point that we cause a parent to minimize the severity of a child's communication delay or disorder. And sometimes we can be so positive that it almost 
um, a parent, again, clings to that and says, well, why am I here in the first place? She didn't think he was that bad. I'm not even going to get therapy now. We don't want to do that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We don't want to make a parent miss providing services or, again, minimize a real problem. But we do want to provide that hope and we do want to, for this family, it wasn't even so much a hope. It was, it was reality. With oh, my goodness, look at all that she can do. And so we want to be sure that we are um, making parents realize that and, and helping them see when things are going pretty well. Now, even when we know that a child will have communication, a communication disorder that will not, ever maybe completely go away, we still want to look for any strengths, mostly to use those to develop a really solid treatment plan and, again, help parents appreciate young children for who they are in that very moment. So let's get started with some things that you can do, some things that you can write in a report, and some things that you can certainly say to uh, note a child's strengths. Now, anytime you have an area where a child scores age-appropriate or within normal limits, I hope that you are making a big deal about that. That is huge. And for those of us who've done birth to three for a long time, um, you may have gotten a little bit spoiled if you are a speech-language pathologist and you only see speech-only kids. Do you know what I mean by speech-only kids? Kids that only need you. Kids that only have an expressive language delay and everything else is going okay. And so that may be your normal. So you may not appreciate that a child has motor skills that are developing normally or social interaction skills that are developing normally or cognitive skills or self-help skills or whatever, whatever else there may be. You may have gotten a little spoiled to that and you may only think about you know, huge communication deficits and ignore the whole rest of the child uh, you know, where areas of development are moving along wonderfully. So we can do that any time a kid is within normal limits or age appropriate or whatever you call it in your state, developmentally appropriate, you know, whatever words you're using. Anytime you have skills that are where they should be to match a child's chronological age, we need to make a big deal about that. And that, again, is to point out a strength to a mom. And you need to know that so that you can build that into the treatment program. If you know that a little guy is struggling with life, but his motor skills are okay and he likes to be active, you need to plan therapy activities that that involve that great motor skill development. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I don't want kids to run around because I want them to sit still and pay attention and listen. Okay, I get that. <laughs> but when we know a child can play a relay game or can it, it work on um, learning new work on moving, like learning new action words because he really can jump and he really can run and he really can hide and do all those other things, we need to take advantage of that, okay, and we need to recognize that as a strength. So that's one thing. We're going to look for areas where a child is scoring at an age-appropriate level and be sure that we're pointing that out in the report as well as telling a parent, gosh, I really like that he's on track with his gross motor skills. He, you know, he looks great to me in that area. And again, don't don't forget, don't negate that there are lots of other kids whose parents aren't going to be able to hear that. You know, if you've worked in birth to three 
now versus, um, well, I don't know what your particular situation might be. In the past, you might have had a lot of kids with significant issues who had kind of global development delays, and, and you're used to seeing children with lots and lots and lots of issues in addition to speech. You certainly already know to appreciate motor skill development <laughs> and appreciate kids who have good self-help skills, kids who already are coming to us knowing how to feed themselves and, and are starting to undress a little bit. The little girl that came to me that I was giving the example earlier, she was already potty trained at two and a half. How cool is that? And, you know, for a speech pathologist to take the time to give an appropriate, wow, and oh, my goodness, that's awesome. You know, sometimes we forget that. So we, we need to be looking for those those areas where a kid is achieving what we would hope that he or she is achieving. Let's kind of run down our other list if we're looking at domains. Let's talk about some of these domains. We've already mentioned motor, but let's kind of start at the beginning. You know, if you've listened to the show before, if you've taken one of my courses, you know I always start by looking at a child's his social skills. So let's do that. Let's talk about some social skills strengths that a child may display. Certainly that's what was going on with this little girl that I was seeing. She was completely engaged with me and completely responsive and totally, totally had excellent social interaction skills. And so we need to be sure that we're talking with parents about that. And, and beyond that, you know, beyond saying, oh, she has great eye contact and her joint attention is really, really good, we need to explain what attention is. Joint attention means that she's able to play with me and with a toy and shares that experience with me. She includes me. She likes when other people are there with her and playing with her. And we need to explain even parents who, who we know that a child doesn't have concerns in that area. We know there's no risk of autism spectrum disorder. We need to say this is great because this is a foundational strength for her and it's so important in the development of early communication skills. You know, that's where all of this starts. And so for some parents, we're, we're checking that off the list and we're saying we don't have to worry about that with him. That's not what's going on here. He gets that. He likes being with other people. He understands that very basic idea that he wants to share what he's doing with someone else, and that's great. So when we have kids that, that aren't struggling in that area, we certainly need to point that out. Um, what about kids who don't have that? Well, of course, we're not going to say it if it's not a strength. But if you have been particularly skillful during the assessment and you, even when you have a kiddo who isn't as socially engaged as you would like, and even if you're going to talk about that as a weakness or a need or a deficit, you still may be able to say, however, he did respond to me so, so well when I used my strategies. He did love it when I really engaged him in social games or when I was really, really animated. Did you notice how he paid attention to me? Did you notice how he was able to look at me and smile and how he responded when I used those strategies? And you can really, again, use that as a because that tells a parent he has a good chance of responding and doing well and making progress in therapy. So that's a strength, even if it's not, 
<laughs> what we would classically define as a strength, even if there is an identified weakness in that area, we can say, I'm worried about this with him. He doesn't normally participate this way, but look, I'm really good at this. I know to engage kids even when they're when struggling in this area, and this is really positive to me that he responded so well. And you can use this. A lot of times a parent might say something like, like this to you in an assessment, they might say, oh, she really likes you. And that's what they're telling you. They're telling you she likes how well you responded to her. She likes how good you were at getting her to do what you needed her to do. And a parent may not know to say that. They they may not know to say, man, you're a really skilled speech-language pathologist or you're the best therapist. Oh, gosh. You know, they may not get that. They just may think, man, she's really good with kids or she's re- not, not even that. She's really great with my kid. They, you know, you really have a connection with her that I don't see with very many people. So that you can also turn that into a strength, you know, beyond giving yourself a pat on the back. You can say <laughs> she responded so well to these really specific therapy strategies, and that's what I'm going to teach you how to do, and that's what we're going to teach grandma how to do, and that's what we're going to get everybody on board doing because when we use these strategies, she can learn. She showed us that today. She responded so well to what I did. So that might be something that you can use. Um and it might be something like better joint attention. You know, joint attention may be something that a child is struggling with, and you might say, you know, just when you're observing a child in play, there is very little joint attention. Until I blah, 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 and then you talk about the strategies that you used. You know, maybe you got face-to-face contact. Maybe you used a toy that was pretty visually stimulating, and you were able to or make some environmental adjustments that that created better opportunities for joint attention. So don't overlook that in your assessment either. If you're the kind of therapist that get, that goes ahead and you, you try some of those kinds of things during the assessment, be sure that you're mentioning uh, why the child did better and why the child responded. And again, that's a strength. That lets you know that in therapy, we're more likely to see progress with a kid who did show some improvement when you utilize those strategies during the assessment versus a kid that you really got nothing out of even when you were doing your best. So so don't forget to include those kinds of things. All right, let's move on to cognition. If you have a child with age-appropriate cognition, please note that because that is the foundation for developing communication skills. Children with significant cognitive delays, deficits, disorders, whatever you want to call it, children who are missing, Huge cognitive milestones are at a huge risk for never developing appropriate speech language or communication skills. And that's tough news. That's really tough news for parents who may have never heard that before. And again, we don't want to gloss over that when that's what's going on with a child. Many, many, many times parents have not heard that when they get to me, when I'm their third opinion or fourth opinion or fifth opinion. And no one has said, well, he's not talking yet because he has really severe cognitive issues that may limit his ability to ever really understand or use language. And we have to be sure that we're sharing that when that's appropriate. But (laughs) on the flip side of that, when it's a strength, we need to talk to parents about that. We need to say she's met 
um, all the cognitive milestones, which means she can learn. This is telling me she has the ability eventually to be able to use to use. And you say when children aren't meeting these milestones, that's when we really, really, really worry that we may never be able to get that child to function and communicate. So we share it in that way. Uh, when a child has the, the three big milestones that I talk about all the time, object permanence, cause and effect, and simple problem solving, we note that. We write that in the report. We say these were present. If only one of them is present, we say, well, he's, he's using one of these, and now we have to work on these other two um, cognitive milestones so that we can get him developmentally ready to use language. So we talk about that. A lot of times we'll have children who come to us with splinter skills, in the area of cognition, what do I mean by that? These are our little friends who are on the spectrum but who may already recognize letters or already know their colors. Now, they're not using any other words in a real functional way. Or it might be a kid who can label, you know, uh, 150 pictures with all of her favorite flashcards or books, and she's not using those words appropriately. So there's a huge communication deficit there. But... She's got a little splinter skill in this area. She's got a good visual memory. Or you might have kids that can really match. They're great with puzzles. And you point that out to a parent. Now, sometimes the parent will hold on to this and miss a communication deficit because they're saying things like, well, she's really smart. I don't get it. That must mean she's lazy or she's stubborn or she just won't talk or she would talk if she wanted to, blah, blah, blah. You can't let that happen. You still have to explain splinter skills still mean that things aren't developing as we would hope. It still means atypical development, still means that they're missing some foundational skills and that we're not going to be able to really see the progress that we would hope until we fill in those missing gaps. But you point out in a way that helps a parent recognize and appreciate that strength while still knowing uh, it's not quite what we would want it to be. Sometimes it's a memory for previous activities. Say this is a child that that I've seen over time. And again, this would not be in your initial assessment unless you get to do assessments over a several visit period. Uh, but you might talk about this in subsequent visits with parents and say, gosh, he has a really good memory. He remembers this from last time. Or you see him over there digging in the back? I think he's looking for this. That means he remembers. That's cognition. That's great. That's my mom. So you're helping a parent really, really, really appreciate that. Um, let's move on and talk about the next area, which would be play. And again, play goes hand in hand with cognition. And when we have children with great play skills, we know that their cognitive skills are moving along. And so we can we can talk about those and link those together and, again, talk with parents about how important that is. I always like to talk about uh, a child's attention span with play. Was it easy for me to engage her? Did she sit with me for a long time in play? Uh, was she interested in a variety of toys? Did she transition from activity to activity? Now, again, this may be something that a parent's never heard or thought about because they have, have the pleasure of having a child who can't transition to a new activity. Or maybe the opposite, a child who, who only wants to move on and you know, flit around from activity to activity to activity without an adequate attention span to really learn. So when we see a child 
who has a pretty good attention span. We need to note that. And we need to explain to a parent, this is a strength. We're not going to have to work on this. And you talk about, again, why he, he's, he's ready to uh, listen. He's ready to learn. And, and you explain how important those kinds of things are. When you have children who can sequence actions in an activity, we know to us as a therapist that would mean, you know, pretty good motor planning is going on. So if you've got a kid, let's just take some toys and walk through that. You're using that ball and hammer toy. If you have a child who can take the ball and put it in the hole and hit it with the hammer, watch the ball go down, pick the ball back up, put it in the hole, hit it with the hammer, watch the ball go down. He can sequence that. He can plan it. Again, that's giving us lots and lots of information about his attention span, about his interest in toys, his ability to sequence, his ability to plan motor actions, uh, and all, all that, again, ties back into cognition. Also ties into fine motor. So you're going to talk to your parent about that. And we talked about grace motor a minute ago, but when we have a child who, who is great at playing with a variety of toys, usually their fine motor skills are moving along. So you would say that to a parent. You know, I love how he's able to do all these kinds of things. We're not going to have to worry about that. With so many children with communication challenges, fine motor issues are a problem too, but I'm not seeing any of that with him. This is a strength. This is a positive. So I know that I can really engage him in lots of different kinds of toys, and this will make therapy really, really, really fun, and he won't get too frustrated because he can use his hands in a developmentally appropriate way. And so you point those things out to parents. And again, these are things that parents may have never thought about with their child. And so we want to help them see those positives too. Let's move on to things that are more um, communicative in nature, things that, again, a child may come to us with some delays in communication and some issues with language development, but we still have to tease out exactly what's going on. Let's just start with receptive language. Anytime I have a child with age-appropriate receptive language skills, I feel like, man, whew, that hard part's not there. He already understands. He knows what words mean. His comprehension is where we want it to be. And so we really want to point that out to parents, that children have to understand language before they could ever use language. So if a child has normal comprehension skills, we want to be sure that we are celebrating that and, and really talking about how wonderful that is, that we don't have to worry about that. Even if a child's not completely age-appropriate, but they are able to follow basic directions or they understand some highly familiar words, point that out and say to a parent, he's not where he should be regarding understanding language. He's not quite there, but I do like that he has some, some basic receptive language skills. This will give us something to build on. We know that if we teach him in the right way, if he hears the word over and over and over and over, he does learn what it means. So this tells us that his receptive language skills are developing. They're emerging, and we can really, really work on this. And again, you may have those kids that it's not quite, um, you don't really want to call it a strength yet. You might call it a term that a friend of mine used to use, a relative strength, meaning that when we look at this kid, there's a lot going on, but his receptive skills are higher than his expressive skills. And, and you know what? That's a normal pattern. Toddlers always understand more than they can say when they're typically developing. So we want to be sure that we're pointing that out, that we're not seeing that atypical pattern. 
where they understand less than they can say, which nearly always means autism. And we're not seeing a pattern of global developmental delay where they're not understanding more at all or where their, their comprehension is minimal. So even when it's not quite where we would want it to be, we want to point out that it's moving along. And it may be something that we still have to work on and something that we're not going to ignore in therapy, but it's a relative strength. So be sure that you're noting that. Anything that a child does for you that mom didn't report in the history, we also want to point out. And we want to say, again, like we were doing before, is this because we're doing a great job of implementing our therapy strategies and we pulled that out of that child and cued it well enough that the child could demonstrate the skill, or it could be something that mom didn't know that the child already knew. And so we want to be sure that we're pointing that out too so that they recognize the child's strengths, particularly in the area of receptive language. And again, don't miss that opportunity to explain to her children have to understand words before they use words. So this is a really big deal that she's on track you know, with what she understands. The next communicative area that we want, would want to look at are how well a child is using gestures. And so lots of times we'll get kids with expressive language delays. They're not saying very much at all, but they're using lots of gestures. They're pointing, they're waving, they're clapping, they're doing a game like high five. Uh, they may have made up their own little signs. Sometimes we'll get children, even early in speech therapy, whose moms have heard about using sign language. So they're already doing some signs. And so anytime you get that, you want to really stress what a strength that is, that a child has really, really learned that I have to communicate and that I can use my body to help you understand what I want. And we want to talk about what a strength that is. So when you see those gestures coming in, even if you are not hearing anything near a word, but a kid's using a lot of gestures, please be sure that you're pointing out what a communicative strength that is, that a child knows that he or she needs to do something to get something. And so they up with a way to do that. You know, I, I've worked with several kids over the years who have made up their own little signs or their own little ways of letting their moms and dads know what they want. They might have a funny facial expression that means, you know, I'm hungry or I'm sick or I want this or I don't like it. You know, and a mom will say, well, that's what this face means or he's trying to tell you this. Praise that and really talk about how important that is and that it's so great that that child has but that. That kind of leads me to my next one, which is a compensatory strategy. Anytime you see a child compensating or trying to shore up what a weakness is on his own at age two, <laughs> that's a big, big deal. And you want to just save your highest levels of praise for this kind of child and for that skill because that really shows you that on, on their little toddler level, that child has learned to self-monitor or, or get feedback from when mom or dad or someone says, I don't know what you're saying or I don't know what you want. They have come up with their own way to try to supplement their message, even when you've not understood that. That is a higher level skill. And this little girl that I saw a couple of weeks ago certainly was trying to do that. She had some signs. Her mom talked about how persistent she was when her mom didn't understand her. She tried to show her what she was talking about or in some way let mom know. And I've had kids do that before. Maybe they've said a word that I didn't understand. And it was pretty obvious that I didn't understand it. You know, if I said something like what or huh or I don't know. 
and they would try to tell me in another way or, or again, lead me to what they were talking about or sign it or in some way do something else to let me know what they're trying to communicate. That is huge for a toddler to be able to do. And so you want to be sure that you're pointing that out as well. One other thing that we need to think about and look at is how well a toddler is able to imitate. Now, I'm not going to do the whole course, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, right here on the show, <laughs> but there are lots of steps, lots of levels of imitation, and that we need to be teasing those out in an assessment and saying he can imitate, even if he's not imitating verbally, can he imitate actions with objects and move through that whole continuum and and you get to the point where it breaks down and you certainly know with most children that we see for speech therapy they're not imitating verbally sometimes we'll get them when they are like this little girl certainly was but she was beyond that this is mostly an intelligibility issue at this point but she had beautiful imitation skills if I said it she tried to say it even if she was way off because of her structural issues that she was dealing with, she still tried. I mean, she worked hard. And so we need to point that out to moms and dads as well because that may be something, you know, moms and dads are, are listening for that accuracy there. They, they want to hear the word come out correctly. And they may not be giving a child full credit for just trying. How many times do we have kids on our caseload that we think, if you would just try to imitate what I said, this would be easier? We have kids like that. And so, again, a parent may not realize what a strength that is for a child who's, who's at this age or at this developmental level. So we want to be sure that we are talking about that level of imitation and talking about what, what, how important that is for developing um, speech-language skills and, and being sure that a parent gives credit there where credit is due. One final thing, well, not one final thing, one more thing that's really important, and this is certainly something you can use when you're having a lot of difficulty finding the strength, is talking about family support. And this is where I usually get the breakdown <laughs> when a parent comes, when I'm talking about all of the weaknesses that we're seeing and, you know, areas we need to work on and how it differs from how their child's Skills are differing from what we would hope to see. And then I may not have gotten to go through very many strengths, but I always, uh, well, when it's true, and again, remember I have a private practice and people are coming usually from far away to see me. I always try to talk about amazing family support when it's there. And so when you have a parent who's traveled for hours to see you, or when you have a, a parent who's done everything they can, you know, they had to beg the pediatrician to finally give the referral. Or you know that just by talking with this mom during the assessment that she's done all she knows to do. You know, she tells you what all she's tried. She tells you what she's read. She tells, you know, she gives you wonderful examples, especially in those situations when you know that she has done all she's known to do. We have got to praise those moms, and we have got to say, you know, your, th this is a strength for your child. Your child's biggest strength is you. You're here. You're doing everything. You're, you're getting new information. You got her enrolled in therapy. You know, in my case, I, if when I have a family like this little girl, they had been to see 
you know, teams of specialists. They had they had read. Mom's an OT, but she's obviously read everything about speech language development she can get her hands on. Dad was there at the visit. He came with her, took a day off work. How awesome was that? And so we need to really be sure that we're pointing this out. You know, and I say this in my first course that I teach, Early Speech Language Development, Taking Theory to the Floor. I always say in the course, unless you are working with a child by court order, that parent has done something right <laughs> because they have gotten therapy involved. They know something is wrong here that I can't fix. Something's not developing like it should be, and I want to pull someone else in to help my child and hopefully to help them. And so when we see a parent who knows that or who's, you know, saying even things that sound a little bit uneducated, even things like, and again, I joke in my course, he ain't right moms. Moms who, they don't know what's going on, but they meet you at the door and meet you at, at your office saying, he ain't right, he ain't right, I don't know what's wrong. And again, I'm not saying that to really be condescending or make fun of a mom. Please, please hear me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying those moms know. And again, that may be the child's best strength is that his mother is really, really worried about him. And she's really concerned that she's got to get him to someone who can help him. And so when we have those kinds of situations, we need to appreciate that because we certainly know there are some parents who aren't um, on board with, with supporting their child and doing what we need them to do to make things better at home. So when we see a family with amazing support like that, we need to be sure that we're acknowledging that. And it is so hard for parents to always hear what's wrong and again, what a weakness is and how far their child has to go to catch up. But we have got to celebrate the parents that are doing everything they can and, and initially recognizing that my child needs some help here. And again, if we're in early intervention, they didn't wait until kindergarten. They didn't wait until their child was seven or eight or nine to get some services. They're on it. They're doing it when their child is a toddler or a baby. And we need to be sure that we are telling them how crucial that is and how critical that is and how they have done a really great thing with getting therapy involved really, really early when it can make more of a difference uh, than if they had waited for years and years and years and doing nothing. Another thing we can do is try to turn those little personality traits into positives. <laughs> you know the ones I'm talking about, right? When we say that a kid... You know, say he just won't stop trying to get into what you've uh, had there. Say he keeps going back to something and you wanted to put it away. Or let's say that mom is telling you, gosh, he just won't leave things alone, you know, that sort of thing. That stubbornness really can be turned into and talked about persistence or independence. And again, we don't want to cause a mom to miss a deficit or or gloss over something that we need to treat, but at the same time, we can look at it as more of a positive than a negative and help a parent sort of see that. Um, sometimes we have children that, again, their effort is more than you would expect it to be. They've sat with you the whole assessment. 
they've tried things that you've asked them to do, even when it's been really, 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 really hard for them. That might be something that you could say is, you know, her effort was there. She was really motivated to play with me. You know, our kids that dig in the bags that, that if you're in a clinic setting, they pull everything off the shelf. They're into everything. Sometimes I'll say, boy, he wants to play. He really wants to play with me. He likes these toys. We're going to use it. It's a strength. So sometimes taking what you might think about as a little bit of a negative, you can spin it a little bit and and make it more of a positive. So try to do that. We always want to leave parents with the idea that things will get better. And we always want to let them know that we are not only looking for what they might perceive or might call as the worst in their child, and we really want to look for the best. And we're going to build on those positives. And if you've listened to this show before, you know that I always say, meet a kid where he is developmentally. And so we have to be sure that when we're doing that, we are doing everything we can to uncover those positives <laughs> and to really, really, really look for what might be hidden strengths there so that we can use that, first of all, to get a parent feeling better about where their child is, and then secondly, to be able to uh, build a whole therapy program around that. So those are the recommendations I have for this particular topic. I think it's so important that we leave parents feeling really, really good about what's to come with their child. And that starts with feeling really, really good about what they see in an assessment and do everything you can to point out what's going well, even from the beginning. I promise this will set the stage for success and for a more positive outcome than if you had only focused on the negatives with a child or with a family. And nothing makes me sadder than to hear from a family that nobody's ever said this to me before or Nobody ever looked at it like that. Or I never thought about it that way before. They need you to do that. They need you to help them see all that their child has going for him or her. And, again, I'm not encouraging you to fabricate and make up things that aren't there. (laughs) But I do want you to think about being more positive so that families start out feeling good about their child. And guess what? They're going to feel good about you and to know that you're not just there to pick apart everything that they've done as a parent and somehow blame this whole poor development on them. That's what sometimes parents think when they come to therapy, is somehow this is my fault. Have you had moms like that who blame all, every skill a child doesn't have on themselves? They'll say, well, he doesn't know how to do that because I haven't taught him. He doesn't know how to do this because nobody's worked on that. I haven't worked on that yet. I've worked too much. I've I've had a baby, so I haven't even paid attention to what my two-year-old's been doing. I, I was sick. I was tired. All those things, moms have an incredible amount of guilt so many times. And the truth is, if the child were typically developing, he or she would have learned that with sometimes very little help, very little directing. It would have just happened. That's what normal development's all about. And so we have to help moms see that. That might be, you know, your biggest accomplishment during an assessment is helping a mom kind of get over that guilt or, you know, the beginnings of that or get over the the hump of that so that she can start to see, you know, this isn't really my fault. And, again, that's not really a positive. (laughs) But it certainly is something that we want to think about and address so that we can do everything we can to get off on the right foot with a child and with his or her mom and dad 
at the very beginning of services so that we're we're all on the same page and again so that we're doing everything we can do to maximize uh, success for our little friends. That's our our whole uh, purpose, isn't it? All right, we are about four minutes and 40 seconds short of an hour. So if you do this podcast uh, for your workout and you're into an out workout, you're going to have to do these last four minutes on your own because I am not going to blab on just for the sake of filling time. But I love this show topic today. And if you have any feedback for me with, with things that have gone well or if this show spoke to you in a particular way, you know, not to be overly dramatic, but I'd love to hear about it. You can always email me at laura at teachmetotalk.com or message me on Facebook on teachmetotalk.com page or on Twitter at teachmetotalk.com. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you.